Love what you hear? Be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, and even our D&D adventure. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm your co-host Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy Pod. We're a bi-weekly interview show bringing you new perspectives on video game culture and current events while centering the relationships queer folks, trans folks, people of color, disabled folks, and other marginalized players have with games. On Pixel Therapy Pod, we believe that video games can serve as tools for understanding ourselves, each other, and the world around us. Find out more on pixeltherapypod.com or follow us on social media at Pixel Therapy Pod. Welcome to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we develop and produce the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And today, I'm going to bust out that old skateboard that I've had sitting in my closet since I was probably in fourth grade. Going to try to learn a few tricks because we are going to be covering Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Yeah, we're covering pretty much the, the, the biggest, I would say, sports game outside of your traditional ball and bat, stick and puck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really spawned this new era of, okay, it doesn't just have to be a football game or a baseball game, you know, and, and the amount of games that spawned just simply from this, like I, I know at one point there was a scooter game, there's been snowboarding games, it all started with this game and really it kind of breaking away from the norm of what little skateboard games were out there. They didn't have too many tricks going on, or if it was simply just you riding along on the skateboard. Like, they looked, never soft who who made this look to change that. And like you said, I mean, you're going to have Dave Mira after this. You're going to have a lot of other different X game style games that follow suit with, mm-hmm. with finding someone to represent it. Um, and not only are we seeing that, you know, just pretty much after the first and second release of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, but... We're seeing a lot of, whether you say copycats, homages, later on the road with games mm-hmm. like Skate that are, are taking that same idea and a- applying new elements to it, freshness mm-hmm. to it. And we even see that freshness applied to Tony Hawk itself as we see a remaster done of the first game within the last few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and that's, that, even that remaster is fun as hell to play. I'm glad they did it. But yeah, it, it's just really awesome to see what came about and as we dive into really how Neversoft kind of stumbled upon this idea of making a skateboarding game Mm -hmm. essentially Mm -hmm. and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater is a third person skateboarding game developed by Neversoft Studios on the PlayStation and the Nintendo 64 published by Activision the goal of the game is to perform different trick combinations to increase the player's score using a variety of different famous skateboarders for single player There's a career mode, single sessions, and free skate. In career mode, players have two minutes to play a level before having to restart it entirely. In each playthrough, the players must achieve a certain amount of goals before they can move on to that next level, that next unlock. Mm -hmm. Some of these goals include getting a certain score or collecting all the letters to a word like skate. So you go around, you get Mm S-K-A-T-E all around whichever park that you're in. There are even hidden VHS tapes found in hard-to-reach locations that require a bit of finesse and a bit of skill to get to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
For multiplayer, two players could go head-to-head in the game modes such as graffiti, trick attack, and horse. Uh, you know, essentially one skater does a trick and then the your, your opponent or second player has to do the same exact trick and just keep going with that. Uh, graffiti has the player tagging the most obstacles within two minutes. Trick attack is simply racking up the most points before the timer ends. And essentially, the trick slack system allows you to land a trick even if the frames of your characters don't exactly match up. Because, yeah, if, if you if they really wanted to replicate real life skating, then you're not going to land 99% of those tricks that you're messing with. But luckily, for the sake of it being a video game, they decided to just, you know, ease up a little bit on the realism uh, point of the game. But wrapping this up, the game was released on September 29th, 1999. Now, as far as Neversoft, it was founded by developers Joel Jewett, Mick West, and Chris Ward in 1994, originally working for Playmates Toys. The first game the studio created was the side-scroller game Skeleton Warriors, based on the toys by the same company. The game was overall, honestly, a miss. Next, the studio worked on a Ghost Rider game for Crystal Dynamics. But development for it uh, was unfortunately shut down, so they're kind of an 0 for 2. Luckily, they picked up a project porting the game MDK to the Sony PlayStation, keeping them afloat for a while. And by 1998, Neversoft unfortunately was on the brink of closing in Woodland Hills, California. Yeah, so they're they're really trying here, but it kind of seems like they're taking one step forward to step backwards. But Neversoft ran out of money working on the game Big Guns for Sony. They went to the publisher Activision to see if they wanted to work together. Luckily, they had a game, Apocalypse, featuring Bruce Willis that needed finishing. If Neversoft could get the game done before the end of the year, they could develop more games for Activision. After the release of Apocalypse, Neversoft began working on a prototype skateboarding game, which would later become Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I wouldn't say rags to riches, but it's its one of those trial and errors. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of studios go through this. A lot of new studios, indie studios, you try and develop this project, it comes out and is either a total flop, mm-hmm. or, I mean, if you read about anybody who's worked in game development or anywhere in the industry, there's a lot of titles that never see the light of day even if they get 99% done Mm -hmm. yeah just because eventually they either run out of money and they need that extra month or two left Mm -hmm. and the publisher is like no we're not spending another dime and it just it shut down yeah or or you try and hit a trend let's Mm -hmm. just take battle royale for example you try and hit a trend you you miss it entirely Mm -hmm. you're just you know way off what you think the player base would like and so you either just go, okay, do we push this off to be the next thing and change what we're doing? You know, how, how do you change it around? I mean, honestly, that's what went on with Fortnite. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fortnite's original single-player mode, which I think I guess you could still get, uh, was more of a building zombie apocalypse survival game that saw what DayZ and these other games were doing and mm-hmm. went, I want to do that, mm-hmm. and was able to shift that. So I think without that... Fortnite would have failed. They, you know, Epic wouldn't be where it is, you know, with what it has. And I think the same thing comes with Neversoft when it was trying to pick and choose, you know, what it was even working on. Absolutely. But yeah, so this is where it gets interesting because because now we're going to dive into developing the game itself. Now, while working on Apocalypse, one of the developers placed Bruce Willis on a skateboard and had him riding it. Developer Mick West designed a level where the player would just skate downhill. This was kind of that aha moment for Neversoft, and they saw potential in a skateboarding project. Originally, the game was a racing game where you were on your skateboards racing to the bottom of a hill. Okay, so it's kind of like like kind of like just a downhill race, mm-hmm. first first to the bottom wins. Yeah, and you know, at the bottom of the track was a level where you could then free skate and perform any tricks you wanted. Now, Neversoft noticed that anyone who played this prototype would focus on just getting to the end of the race to skate in that that bottom area mm-hmm. uh, because they just didn't care about the race itself. This is when they knew that they needed to focus on freeform skating aspect of the game, but they needed someone to represent the game. So you have this huge shift now in what it's going to be. Yeah, and, and and luckily they did this, and, and they understood, you know, with, with kind of this no-name product, how do you get someone to represent it? The skating mm-hmm. game... You know, who can we call who's big right now? And that's where that call to Tony Hawk really first came in. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, the the one of the best decisions they could have ever, the best decision they made about this it's game. It's the decision. <laughs> I would say it's, it's that. Yeah, it is that, yeah. And so Activision would set up a meeting with Tony Hawk 
to get him in the game since, uh, you know, around the time he was actually an avid gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I mean, he's an N64 guy. I understand it. <laughs> it's my, it's my lifeblood. I'm there with them. So whenever you uh, meet Hawk, you can uh, reminisce. Yeah, I'll go, hey, Hawk. <laughs> I won't say Tony. Hawk. <laughs> you playing any good games lately on the N64? <laughs> Me too. Hawk. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he shows up uh, to the meeting in his traditional skater gear, like, you know, ripped jeans, tattered t-shirt, mm-hmm. while everyone else is, you know, the, the typical corporate suit and tie. Mm-hmm. They proceeded to go through this 40-page PowerPoint telling him, you know, these marketing ideas, what this, you know, revenue cost share would be, you mm-hmm. know, how they can get this target demo going through. And honestly, Tony Hawk was less than thrilled with it. I mean, he's because honestly, all they were bringing up the first part was here's what you can be. You're going to be in the game. Um, you know, our, our market share, we're thinking will be this. Our target demo mm-hmm. is going to be this. Yeah, and, and, and he just doesn't. He's like, uh, it was also like part like, you know, this is how much the video game industry is making in money. Mm-hmm. And they said he was just slowly like. Uh, just falling into his chair, and like you could just see, like he was not interested whatsoever. He's just like, this isn't me. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. especially at that time, because this this was really that grunge period of skating, which which boosted it back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I I didn't even know this. He was I think this was around the time where he started becoming popular again. Because I think in the early early nineties. He actually wasn't skating, like, he wasn't making money off skating anymore. He was doing video editing at yes. one point. So then this is where he started getting that resurgence, and, you know, we'll talk about the X Games that happened. So it was kind of, again, it, it's still regardless, as you had said, not his thing. It's not in his blood. He's showing up in ripped jeans, and just he doesn't want to hear this corporate talk. No, but, but luckily, luckily, producer Scott Pease gave Tony Hawk a controller and let him play the demo, which actually still had Bruce Willis on the <laughs> skateboard with a gun. <laughs> and so Tony, Tony's attitude changed, and he was sold. He's like, listen, Bruce Willis with a gun on a skateboard? That's that's my wheelhouse. They didn't tell him that they were taking the gun and Bruce Willis away. <laughs> yeah. He was like, we'll just let him think he has it. Yeah, and, and, and so with this, he told Activision that since he owned an N64, hey, listen, he's a Nintendo guy. I get it. <laughs> he said he wanted this game to come out. On the system, or at least come out on a Nintendo system, whatever was coming with it. Mm-hmm. And they they slowly agreed to it at first, but then did kind of a 180, you know, because that's a trick on a skateboard, <laughs> uh, and said, listen, I get that you have an N64, I get that's your, your wheelhouse, your bread and butter, but the PlayStation is the thing. Yeah. More people own it, it has more of a general audience, you know, from adult to kid, whereas mm-hmm. the N64 is more of a, a, a children-specific console you in a way. this on a cartridge no no old man we're doing cds yeah so so within that agreement of of money talks and what was going on they said no it it will be a playstation game and so he agreed to it Mm -hmm. after hawk agreed to be part of the project there was still some negotiations behind the scenes so he wasn't involved with the project for the first two months of it when he finally did come on board he would start suggesting how tricks should look and you know tweaking minor things here and there to actually make it look like they're real skating tricks yeah and, and to make it feel cuz even in the game i remember playing it the the tricks it all hit the same every time but mm-hmm. there were still those imperfections and still the the organicness of the tricks that still didn't feel as corporate if you want to say it that way. You mm-hmm. could see that there was touch from all these skaters that are involved well, about like their specialities mm-hmm. and, and, and how they would do it. It's it's no one who skates making a skateboarding mm-hmm. game, essentially. And they needed the skateboarder to tell you, hey, uh, actually make it look like this. And it wasn't long before Tony Hawk was playing new builds of the game several times a week. So they were keeping him in the loop as often as possible. As mm-hmm. soon as they made a major change, he knew about it. There was one session of motion capture, but this was mainly for marketing purposes. Tony Hawk did end up hurting himself a few times while recording since he was not able to wear the amount of protective gear he used while he was trying to perform some of his hardest tricks. So, because I, I remember watching a video about it and he had talked about how he was wearing the motion capture suit that had all like the ping pong balls. Mm-hmm. They're like, 
no, you can't wear like any of your knee pads or elbow yeah. pads. So they're like, okay, now do some of your hardest tricks ever. And like, <laughs> you know, if you watch Tony, if he fails a trick, typically he's going to land on his knees or something and yeah, slide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can't do that now. And I said, they didn't really even use any of the footage. It was more to be like, look, Tony Hawk's literally in the game. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I have to go to the hospital, guys. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> thank, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> but interestingly enough, now that he's working with Neversoft and Activision, this actually wasn't the first time that Tony Hawk was asked to be part of a skating video game. At one point, a PC programmer had approached him about doing a video game. They took the pitch to Nintendo, Midway, and Gottlieb. No one was on board, and Midway told them, quote, Skateboarding isn't even popular. Why would anyone want to buy a skateboarding video game? Eventually, the programmer gave up on the idea. Shortly afterwards, Rockstar Games had approached Tony Hawk with an idea of a game using foot controls, but he felt it was too hard to get into. It was almost as hard as skateboarding itself. The game later on went to become Thrasher Skate and Destroy, which, again, makes sense if a game is replicating real-life skateboarding why not just buy a skateboard and go do it? Yeah, and, and then be able to experience it and get the tricks that you want to do without, like you said, having too much to it. Because we do see later down the road, they will do a game that has motion controls with <laughs> Tony Hawk's downhill. But again, <laughs> that's more of a balance board mm-hmm. and less of like actually trying to do all these tricks and everything with it. I can't do a 900 on that. Come on. Oh, you might be able to. you got to <laughs> believe in yourself. But in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater... Tony Hawk himself kept his stats pretty realistic. He knew his weaknesses and made sure that skaters that were better than him at certain aspects of skating had the stats to reflect it. From there, Neversoft made a list of skaters they wanted in the game, with Tony sending them some recommendations as well. Though some turned them down, most of the skaters that they reached out to were actually really excited to be part of the project. Skaters Jamie Thomas, Rodney Mullen, and Chad Muska would come into the studio and tell them everything they were doing wrong and then give them ideas on what to put into the game. You know, and and if you remember the characters, like, I remember Chad Musco was, like, my go-to mm-hmm. with it. Um, you know, it's really cool that, again, they want to be in the game and they're willing to be like, that's wrong. But let me tell you how we should do this because mm-hmm. that's how we would do this in the real world if mm-hmm. we're skating, you know, this is what the atmosphere of it would be like, and mm-hmm. this is kind of the skate culture. Well, you got to also think is that Tony Hawk's just, uh, uh, he just does ramps, or, or uh, he does vert. So now you're bringing in skaters that skate in different environments mm-hmm. and do different tricks. So now it's just not Tony being able to help out where he can. You're getting all these new perspectives to really help out with this game to make it sellable and, and, and real. Yeah, I mean, to get all the specialities, if you want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. And one fun thing, though, is when a skater would visit the studio, Neversoft would ask them to bring in the outfit they wanted to be wearing in the game. Mm-hmm. So they actually used the clothes instead of just picking some random stock photo and be like, I see them wear that a lot. They actually were like, hey, what do you want to wear in here? And the skaters featured in the game would perform tricks for Neversoft so that the studio could better understand them, get an idea on how to program it, how to, you know, hand hand etch it basically into the game. Sometimes Mullen didn't want to stop performing for them, so the studio would stay late simply to watch him skate. And it's, I mean, it's pretty cool to have an audience. Roddy Mullen's also a legend. Yeah, like I, if I was in that situation, I'd be like, like, honey, I'm not coming home. <laughs> Rodney Mullen's just doing stuff for us. Like, I'm having I, burritos with Mullen, and he's skating with us. <laughs> it's a burrito skate time. I can't be home right now. And it's really cool to see stories like this around the tricks and whatnot. But it's even more interesting to see how they designed just the game in general. What well, really went into it, honestly, mm-hmm. because yeah. we, we now the skaters on board. We're getting an idea of what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. But now how can we turn that into ones and zeros so that we can get this over to the PlayStation and not Sony's beloved N64 at the start <laughs> to, <laughs> see, to see what the, the, the crowd wants? So like, listen, Tony Hawk. No. But yes, but no. <laughs> Neversoft didn't want to make the game too realistic. They wanted to make it fun. Mm-hmm. Lead artist Silvio Peretta would visit local skate shops, talk with the owners, and watch dozens of skate videos from 1998 and 1999. 
The president of Neversoft, Joel Jewett, wanted all of the developers to practice skateboarding while developing the game to better understand what it was like, which led to a developer breaking his ankle, actually, at one point. Listen, weak anks. Which I think it's cool, though, that he's he's just like, hey, what are you doing for lunch? They're like, just going to eat my sandwich? Here's a skateboard. Go up back. I, I, th- I like it. I, I'm really glad that with something like this, because it, it is cool, to, I mean, if you want to call it method acting, mm-hmm. it's, it's neat to see a full engrossment of it and trying it out and understanding what you're creating as a product. Well, I, I, I look at it as like when I practice like a walking animation, I literally will will stand in front of my mirror and walk back and forth to mm-hmm. be like, how does this work? Like, it's the same kind of thing. Okay, how should the player look when they start to speed up on the skateboard? They start to tilt down a little bit. So it's kind of that same thing, essentially. Uh, re- as you said, kind of a method acting approach to it. Mm-hmm. At one point, the developers all held a contest to see who could land a kickflip. Programmer Kendall Harrison ended up being the only one who could do it and won $1,200. I mean, hey, that's that's some good lunchtime spent right there. Yeah, there's You can look up the videos, too, Like if, if you're curious. It's awesome to see. It's Again, that's a piece of history right there that you're seeing. Now, when developing the game, Neversoft didn't have a PlayStation dev kit. I feel like this is kind of just every episode we talk about PlayStation. They didn't have a dev kit. Yep. Developer McWest took Game Shark attachments and hacked into the PlayStation so they could see or so they could essentially work as dev kits, which, again, we talk about this. Uh, you said uh, Crash Bandicoot. They did that. Sony kind of held back on letting people uh, get into their console, essentially. Mm-hmm. A lot of developers would go to the bowling alley across the street from the studio and play the arcade game Top Skater for inspiration. When it came to the console inspiration, 1080 snowboarding was also used as a reference when creating the game. Because I said but there were a handful of games, whether snowboarding or skateboarding, where they could essentially get that that loose feel of what it was like to be skating on something. The start of it. Because 1080 mm-hmm. snowboarding is a fantastic game. I, I had it on the N64, but you can, you can feel that it wasn't as tight mm-hmm. as Tony Hawk will end up. Being. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, was, it was very much flightier. You get in the air and do some snow tricks mm-hmm. and with your board, but with this really tightened it up and allowed for just so much more variety when it came to the tricks and combos mm-hmm. that went along with it. Absolutely. Neversoft needed focus testers for the game, so associate producer Ralph D'Amato would hang up flyers at local high schools to get anyone who was interested to play the game. These focus tests were not helpful, though. All the kids who played it simply wanted to play it more. So they would just be like, so so what did you think about this? And they're like, we really like it. Can we play it again? They're like, give us real feedback. How did it feel? You know, mm-hmm. what could be improved? They're like, we just want to play it again. Yeah, which, which is a super positive, but not when you want to, like, iron things down. <laughs> yeah, which it's a good problem to have. But this is also, again, the era we talked about with Mario, where they're just, like, finding kids. Like, hey, kids, you want to play a game? Mm-hmm. And I- I'm waiting for the day. I'm just hanging out, and someone's like, hey, I'm going to come test the game, and I can just go do it. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, considering there is the internet now, and that will never happen. I but... want someone to approach me. All right, hey, indie game devs. make Je- Well, here's the thing. Jesse makes promises on this podcast and never does them, so. I do some. Well, we'll I see. I do some. I keep, like, 20% of my promises. 10% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but while Neversoft was developing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Rockstar Games were developing Thrasher Skate and Destroy, the game we had talked about a little earlier. Mm-hmm. This would lead to some trash talk between the two studios, you know, going back and forth on who's going to make the better game. You know, you got Tony Hawk, but we got a better game going on. How's this going to happen? Do you kind of have a cooler name. I'll give him that. Well, we'll see. Because during <laughs> development, Neversoft had the opportunity to play Thrasher, but overall deemed it basically unplayable. They took a lot of notes on things not to do in a skateboarding game. And in July of 1999 at the X Games, Tony Hawk landed his famous and legendary 900. So it's like 1080 snowboarding, but minus half a, half a circle. <laughs> Neversoft was pretty much done with the game at this time. I mean, they were, they were licking the stamp to like start to ship them out <laughs> at almost there. But they knew that when they saw this, that had to be in the game. Oh, and, absolutely. And funny enough, when they were deciding this, Tony like rang him up and was like, do you guys see my trick? Do you, guys, do you guys see that trick I just did? I want that in the game. And they're like, hey, we're already on it. Like, we're going to get this done. Yeah. Like, it's it's because literally what he happened. He's like, hey, guys, I know it's last minute. 
can you put my trick in the game? They're like, we're already on it. Because I remember, and you want to talk about, that's one thing that definitely put him back on the map yes. was landing it put skateboarding trip. back on the map absolutely because because the x games were coming back and they were still kind of like meh at the time but tony hawk comes out and does that and everyone lost their mind over it and it's still talked about to this day well you know? I, mean, it's, it's, I think it's i think not just in sports culture it's just in pop culture yeah like it's it's, it's just a known thing mm-hmm. because from the 80s to the 90s a lot of those extreme sports just died out yeah, and you you didn't start getting names back into it until those mid late nineties into early two thousands with the X Games, with these other people who became faces of it. It was no longer this like punk movement, underground movement. It was now a mainstream thing of these quote unquote extreme sports that some people didn't consider sports, some consider just recreation, mm-hmm. but were now actually talked about getting sponsorship deals, it's getting on, into video games. It's on TV. It's on TV. Yeah, that's where people are seeing this. Yeah, it's crazy just to see how yeah like. Especially after this game, skating culture blew up, mm-hmm. and and this was part of that catalyst. You know, it was all like a perfect storm. Well, and one of my favorite things to come out of this is is the marketing that it took because mm-hmm. they they the way they market it was the exact way skaters I know like market themselves or market like a, a place they're going to go skate. Uh, well, yeah, because at one point Tony's like marketing it like it's his demo tape essentially yeah because neversoft had a marketing budget that honestly didn't exist yeah there was no numbers really attached to it and activision just wanted them to get the word out and get Mm -hmm. this game sold yeah so what they would do (laughs) is they would take a giant tv to skateboarding events or just you know skate parks around the area Mm -hmm. and set it up set this kind of demo display up and the studio had to really rely on skaters featured in the game to promote it as well. Mm-hmm. So not only were the you know the studio staff going around with this, you know what I'm assuming a large TV was at the time was like a 32 incher, <laughs> just, just a big boy. And of course it's it's the tube television on uh, that 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 uh, cart with wheels. So trying to get that like down a ramp, you got that with like the VHS still in there from your school. They just sold this from a school. Probably one of the high schools that they were they were they were demoing or tried to get testers at. You're not wrong. So yeah, so so they had to rely on just this word of mouth marketing and more of those skaters who are featured to do promos. It's kind mm-hmm. of like if you're a local band, you, you got to do promo to sell your tickets. Yeah, uh, uh, pay to play. I've done too many of those, and that's pretty much what we have here. The studio really had to rely on this because if it sold, you know, X amount of copies, which we later learned was. Really not that much. They, I think they just had to make the money back. Yeah, it was break uh-huh. even. So it was mm-hmm. it was enough copies to break even, which they shatter. They would receive you know extra money on top of. It. They receive mm-hmm. a bonus. Mm-hmm. So so as long as as long as it was successful in Activision's eyes, they made a good product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Activision was putting a lot of money later down the road into marketing as well mm-hmm. on more of the corporate side of how they're going to push this game, mm-hmm. how, how are these things going to happen. Yeah. Now, Tony Hawk pirated a few copies of the game to give to some of his pro skater friends. They were all amazed by it. And within the professional skating community, it was referred to as the game because mm-hmm. it would just be like that talk of like, have you played the game yet? Like, that's so crazy. Hey, he was stealing the copies and just handing them out (laughs) yeah because he was he was that excited now a lot of skateboard companies were also very open to neversoft using their logos in the game because after all they saw it as free advertisement yes all those decks that you're seeing Mm -hmm. you know all those amazing like logos and like the birdhouse logo and all those things all of them yeah is, is just so cool to see in there and and it just it burns in your memory like this era of gaming burns in your memory i mean tony hawk i mean especially you know superman Mm-hmm. The soundtrack, which we're going to talk about, it, there's just so many things that are just just etched in, and it's just so cool to see that mm-hmm. and see this come about. And again, I think this way was really the best way to advertise it. Yeah, because again, you're wor- it, you have these partnerships that are essentially no one's paying anything. Uh, there, you know, uh, NeverSoft's not paying them money. Birdhouse or mm-hmm. Element or any of these these companies aren't paying them to be featured in the game. So, can we use your logo? Yeah, sure. Why yeah, not? It's just a, it's kind of a trade economy for mm-hmm. it. It's, yeah, it's, exactly. It's just service for service. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that I think every game should bring back, mostly because of the deals in it, is the jam pack. Absolutely. So 
for kids who are playing some of the newer consoles, way back when, a couple years ago, but but years back, <laughs> um, we would get discs that would have several different games on it that would be demo features. Mm-hmm. And one of these was the Jam Pack. And Sony had this demo that would be included in their magazine. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was one of the demos included. And most of the online forums at the time were flooded with talk of this demo. Now, here's where we got to pause, because this is where I say, game devs, I'm looking at you right now. Mm-hmm. Because demos of the game were also given out at Pizza Hut's, included with any pizza purchase. I would love to get game demos when I order pizza, because I would just order pizza I all the time. I would be so fat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd be fatter. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do this weekend? I'm ordering a Domino's playing a demo. <laughs> <laughs> you hear about the, the new game coming out? Uh, where do I got to order it from? Uh, Papa John's. Okay. Okay, I'll get a pizza. Uh, wouldn't it be great if like Sony's like with Papa John's, Xbox is with Domino's, Nintendo's not doing it. Nintendo has their own pizza. <laughs> Nintendo, <laughs> Nintendo's doing like an easy bake oven pizza as, as they would. And it's delicious. But it's made out of cardboard attachments. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, I'd buy it. Mainly relying on word of mouth and mm-hmm. then this extremely genius marketing tactic of just giving it out with pizzas yes. is what what soared this game to uh, to see success so quickly. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it did. Obviously with the online demos, but again, going with that skater culture mm-hmm. that kind of like don't care about stuff, like Pizza Hut is one of those perfect partners for it. Pizza Hut is very punk, if you think about it. They're, they're punk rock. No one out pizzas them. No one out pizzas them. Yeah. Because they're mainstream losers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, no, I think it was ingenious marketing. And, and I mm-hmm. love seeing these things. You know, if we want to talk about somewhat guerrilla marketing that we had today, we saw a little bit of that in Apex Legends, mm-hmm. which was just a, a drop and go play. You know, I, I love these little ingenious marketing tactics that really come with having to do it. When you have a budget, but you don't know what you're doing with it, and you have to break the mold, I think that really says something with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing for me, whether it's break the mold or mold it into my brain, is the full campaign from the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which it's a pretty – I mean, there's no story or anything. Mm-hmm. You are you are just the skater that you choose. Uh, I said you have a multitude uh, to choose from. I was either always Tony Hawk or Rodney Mullen. But, you know, there's nine total levels in the game. And after the player completes a certain amount of goals, as we said earlier, they can move on to the next level. And, you know, you start with the warehouse. You can't go to the next level until you get X amount of goals. Mm-hmm. Levels are broken down by four free roam levels, three competition levels, and two downhill levels. Some levels do not have the same goals as others. So, for instance, not every level has a VHS tape collection goal, and others require the player to obtain, like, a medal in its place. Mm-hmm. But as you've said, we have some that are, like, you know, collect the letter skate mm-hmm. or collect these certain items. There's also some, and these were always the hardest, where you had to get a certain amount of points. Because as you're playing, for anyone who hasn't played this game, you, you build up points during... Uh, the the two minutes that you have, so you hit a, a kick flip and it's a hundred points. But if you do a kick flip on top of a, a grind, you know fifty fifty, and you, you hit a nolly, and... And, yeah, and you switch and do a manual, then then essentially you're going to build up all those points and they multiply. Yes, because there's a multiplier at every trick you hit. Mm-hmm. So so as you hit, let's say a grind, it's an initial point value for just tapping your board on it. Mm-hmm. But then as you continue it, it builds up. Same thing with, like, hitting air tricks. Those will multiply as long as you never stop doing a trick. So that's where, mm-hmm. you know, like, the ollies and all this other stuff comes in to keep you going and to yeah. keep you going to the next trick. Yeah, and, and if you fail, then, yeah, unfortunately, it's all just wiped away. You have to restart from scratch, which is always frustrating when you have, like, a ten or 25 or 50,000-point buildup, and then you fall over. And you 10, just... 10,000, yeah. Yeah, you noob. <laughs> I, I was just saying if you scoob, some, if, you skating noob. If someone out there could only get ten thousand, not me, of course. No, but it was it was amazing to see because I had a friend's brother at the time who played this religiously, mm-hmm. and he's racking up two hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand every trick. Once you get to to the, the six figures, I could never get there. No, like, no, I couldn't either. Like that—that's when you're like, that's everyone's older brother. Yeah, it was, it was always the it. older brother. I was like, oh man, they can do it. I'm just. Kind of just clicking these letters out here. <laughs> we'll break it down now on you know these these beloved levels, these levels that, like I said, 
baked into the brain. Easy baked into the brain. <laughs> Nintendo easy baked. Nintendo easy baked into the brain. Uh, we have Warehouse, which was based in Woodland Hills, California, so where we actually have Neversoft based. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have The School, which is based in Miami, Florida. The Mall, which is in New York City, New York. Skate Park in Chicago, Illinois. Downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. The Downhill Jam in Phoenix, Arizona. Burnside in Portland, Oregon. Streets of San Francisco, California. And Roswell of Roswell, New Mexico. So that's where you're getting a little alien action going mm-hmm. on. All iconic levels i mean i think school and warehouse stick out for me Mm -hmm. the most mall as well i love uh just because it's i love the it's an abandoned mall so you can just wreak havoc on it yeah and what i love too is i i recently watched a streamer uh play the newer one Mm -hmm. and actually visit all the locations and tell what was real and like Mm -hmm. what was in the area because they were actually from minneapolis and they're like this this isn't downtown. <laughs> it was one of the things where they're like, let's take one sign mm-hmm. from downtown and put it in the game. It's like, this is downtown. And I believe the way I they chose some of these because these were a lot of the hometowns, some of the skaters. Mm-hmm. So that's why they ended up being able to play some of those. That's yeah. why downtown Minneapolis, out of any location for downtown, was chosen based on recommendations from the skaters mm-hmm. and those working on it. So this wouldn't be the last time, though, that we see the, this iconic campaign we actually see it a handful, handful more times. We do see it a few more times, which I didn't even know. You know, we we keep mentioning that a remaster just came out recently, but that wasn't the first remaster or HD upgrade that we got of the game. So the first time the game would get a remaster was 2012, and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater HD, released on the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and PC, developed by Robomato. Overall, the game did not fare well, earning a 66 out of 100 on Metacritic. I mean, I don't know what to expect. I I never play, I didn't know this existed until doing this. It just kind of fell by the wayside for a lot of people. Yeah, it was one of those that I, I never picked up. I think it was also in the lull of gaming mm-hmm. of 2012. And that was around the era where we started getting HD remakes. Mm -hmm. So bringing some of those 480p, some 720p games to a Mm 1080-ish era. And they did okay with it. You know, a lot of fans, when I was reading reviews, critics were pretty heavy on it. It was a little lighter, I would say, or a little more favorable on just the fan reviews. And I think a lot of that was just more of the nostalgia factor Mm -hmm. of being able to see it again in an HD remake that did okay it did all right but honestly fans did they wanted something more out of it yeah and for years a remake of the first game was frequently suggested to tony hawk from fans and peers alike but he never had the resources to do so eventually activision would approach him with this idea and tony's like listen i think a remake would be awesome however Neversoft isn't around anymore. Yeah, by this time, uh, Activision kind of disbanded Neversoft, unfortunately. So, yeah, it was just like, you know, they were the ones who created it, and Tony Hawk didn't really have any other kind of too many connections to be like, I know this studio that can do it. Well, and and those were his connections. He built that up. He built up kind of that Neversoft family with him. So now that that's gone, he's like, I don't really have a go-to Mm-hmm. for this how, mm-hmm. how are we yeah, yeah. gonna kind of put this together this though was not the first time that this remaster had been brought up you know he'd been pressured with it from friends and peers but activision had always been pushing him for this you know trying to make this potential sale saying hey if we can do it we're gonna do great and that's when we had activision ceo bobby kotick already making this plan with marketing mm-hmm and saying, like, listen, we should get Hawk on board and, you know, give us a blessing again, and we'll be good to go. He's being a little sneaky. Mm-hmm. Finding the developer was no problem for Activision. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. They got a cookie jar full of them. <laughs> they shouldn't get out one savory morsel. And so they actually called up Vicarious Visions, who had just done the Crash Bandicoot trilogy remaster to do the remaster of both Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. Vicarious Visions would bring in the original game engine and level geometries and start upgrading the game from there, upgrading graphics and quality of life movements as well. Some tricks and newer techniques were added into the game. There was also a much larger soundtrack added. You now had the option to play with other players online as well and even share your 
and even share your custom skate park with other players because I believe that was first in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. And then, you know, they're, they're bringing in some of those aspects from those games that you can still do to this day. Well, they're allowing the sharing of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, yeah, that's yeah. the major thing is, you know, you could always do these things in these games with create a skater, create a park, but without connectivity to the internet, you know, you couldn't send these off. You couldn't make custom parks and share them as you do with a lot of modern day games. Mm-hmm. So when you're coming out with this remaster, that's a full remaster, you know, from the ground up, not like the HD remix. So yeah. the HD was more of just a port with visual upgrades, this is you're basically starting from scratch, mm-hmm. bringing assets, redoing them, and then adding in just so many quality of life things that fans really loved. Exactly. But on top of that, it featured new skaters such as Lizzie Armanto, Leo Baker, and Shane O'Neill. Now, motion capture was actually used for this version more frequently than the original, and skaters that were in the first game would show their age 20 years later. Because Tony Hawk felt that the original game was true to life, so why wouldn't a remake 20 years later not reflect that as well? So all I think s- that was so cool. Yeah, because all the skaters yeah are literally look 20 years older now. Like, and it's and I love that they bring in you know young talent to this. Mm-hmm, absolutely, you know, they bring in young skaters. They have the OGs that are in there, mm-hmm. and they've added so much in with that custom skater element. They've added in so much with the creative park. And it was absolutely. It was such a beautifully well done, and we're seeing that with a lot more games in this in the twenties, the, the Roaring Twenties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're seeing much more of that, like with the Final Fantasy remake, which mm-hmm. is a full redo. Whether you think it's a good game or not, instead of just doing an HD remake where you just go, mm-hmm. "Whoop, looks better," you're yeah. adding in elements that weren't in the first one, improving elements that mm-hmm. now with the technology, especially mocap, now compared to then. Is, is so much more elegant and so much more easy to combine with hand animation that it made so much sense to do this. Plus, it's a great project to almost experiment with it for Activision. Mm-hmm. To Absolutely. get an idea of how this would be. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping that if we are going to be in this era of remakes and remasters, that stuff like this or Final Fantasy or even the Resident Evils that are coming out, we get something that stays true to the spirit of it. Absolutely. But gives it the modern game feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's one of those things I can tell this is the original game, but this game feels like it was, re- you know, it's a new IP that released yesterday, essentially. And that's what I want. Mm-hmm. During the end of development, COVID-19 would hit the world, and Vicarious Visions employees would start working from home to complete the project. Initially, some were worried about the game, but working from home helped a lot of employees dial down and finish that final stretch of development. Because I know this plagued everyone. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it's we're currently in it, you know, so. And, and, it's, and it's one of those things where, luckily, they were already in the development cycle. And we're just kind of not crunching, but getting towards those final numbers. It, it was right around the end, too. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like anything like it, it wasn't concepting or, no. or starting from scratch or anything like that. It, it, it was, was it was more just getting the polishing touches on it mm-hmm. and, and, and making sure that the game will work and ship. Now, we're seeing a lot more games get pushed back because of COVID. Yes. I um, mean, we saw it with Halo. Uh, we're seeing that with Blizzard. With both Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 yeah. being pushed back, being confirmed it's not coming out. It's been a hassle. I mean, imagine setting up a full infrastructure like Blizzard and then go, okay, those servers we have, best of luck accessing all that at work when you're at home and trying to do this and keep mm-hmm. it secret. And so luckily this was able to hit the store shelves virtually and physically and make it in to be a game to play during this era. Yeah, I mean, we got it. So it it's it's a really awesome game that's faithful, essentially, to the original, as you had talked about. Now, to promote the game, the original warehouse level was recreated in real life, and Tony Hawk would finally skate the legendary level. Tony Hawk also collected balloons in the shape of the skate letters in 30 seconds on a vert ramp. So mm-hmm. yeah, essentially, again, this is just a cool video to see because it's like... Yeah, that's such an iconic level. It's the first level that you start out, and finally seeing him skate it, the other, the recreation of it is pretty cool. But the remake was released August 14th, 2020, on the Xbox One, PC, and the PlayStation 4. And really quickly, let's touch on some cut material from the original game. Mm-hmm. So the Trick Fast Plant was originally called 
foot plant. That's a shame. I would have loved a foot planet. <laughs> Bonus point items originally looked like sonic rings. I could see why they probably decided to change that. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the levels downhill and freeway were cut from the final build of the game. Basically, this is one of those games where you had a million ideas going and most of them stuck. Yeah, they actually went with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, even learning the PlayStation and eventually coming out onto the N64 and multiple other platforms we're going to see, it's really cool that they're able to make it fun for a little bit of everything that it came out with. Exactly. And for me, I think the most fun I've had with it was hitting Warehouse, dropping in, and having one of these tracks start. Any of these tracks. Any of them. Talk about the music of this game, because it it Mm -hmm. is fantastic. And when it came to the music, Neversoft wanted the soundtrack to be a part of the overall personality of the game. The crew would all start bringing in old cassette tapes and pull some music off of Napster and start throwing around ideas of what songs would be fun to skate to. That's the most dated sentence on earth. They, <laughs> they, they brought in some cassette tapes and they were listening to Napster. Like, <laughs> Hey, they're both still around and making a comeback. <laughs> they ended up creating and reinforcing a close bond between skating and rock music, as well as bringing in touches of punk, metal, and UK dance music. There were many ways the team at Neversoft was able to bring in different bands. Lead artist Silvio Peretta's wife at the time knew someone from Suicidal Tendencies and was able to convince them to let Neversoft use one of their songs for the game. The guitarist of Primus, Larry Lalonde, was a skateboarder himself. So when the band found out that Neversoft wanted to use one of their songs in the game, they were all for it. They mm-hmm. loved the idea of having their music being associated with skate culture and you know, not having that weird separation of being like underground you know, punk kids. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, these are pretty big bands at the time that are like, yeah, let's do it. This is awesome. Like it is that culture of like rebellion and rock and let's bring it to the forefront of it. Mm-hmm. And even uh singer, John Feldman of Goldfinger had this to say, you know, about having what they thought was just a write-off song for them. Yeah. Which ends up being their biggest hit be uh, applicable absolutely. into the game. Yeah. Quote, I have no recollection of being asked to be in the game. (laughs) I'm sure I was asked, but we were touring so much and I just didn't want to go back to selling shoes. So any opportunity to promote my band, I would just say yes to. Superman was kind of just a song that we had lying around. Obviously now it's the biggest song we've ever written, but I didn't have any idea what the song would become. It was never a radio single. Its popularity is testament to how powerful and how important that game was for the culture of our scene. So, yeah. What is ska without Tony Hawk? That's all I got to say right <laughs> I, here. I actually think that that uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater actually formed ska. I think it did. <laughs> Skate cool, awesome. Ska. <laughs> Not all of the songs from the PlayStation version made it into the Nintendo 64 version of the game. Some of the songs in the Nintendo 64 version were also cut down and looped to save space on the cartridge. So imagine just hearing that ska riff for 10 minutes straight. Or just never hearing Goldfinger get to a point where it's just da 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 <laughs> and just repeats continuously. I'm for it now. The Tony Hawk's Pro Skater soundtrack would contain 10 songs from 10 different bands, a total of 25 minutes and 20 seconds. Now, the European release of the game would have three additional tracks in the soundtrack. And so the three tracks are Ain't Got Time to Waste by AIM featuring YZ, Le Hot by Grand Unified, and Blue Thunder by Aqua Sky. Now the first game soundtrack to this day is Tony Hawk's favorite soundtrack from any of the Tony Hawk games. Even members from the band My Chemical Romance claim that if it wasn't for the soundtrack, they wouldn't have been a band. So thank you Tony Hawk and Neversoft because I don't know what I would do without My Chemical Romance. Thank you for that heart pouring. <laughs> Listen, without uh THPS, there'd be no MCR. <laughs> and you would be SAD. <laughs> Enough of of Jesse's Jesse's love of of my chemical romance and other <laughs> punk post era stuff he listens to. <laughs> Let's talk about the release versions of the game. Uh, we had our standard, our PlayStation, and then our unfortunately stripped down musically N sixty four version, mm-hmm. a Game Boy Color version. Now a blast from the past, the N gauge, which we mm-hmm. all had. No, pre- present company excluded. <laughs> a Dreamcast, <laughs> which a lot of people did say 
this was a later release right around when Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 was starting to get released. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they said that this is like the true game. It's the best version yeah, of it. Yes, the best version of it. This is what you should be playing. Mm-hmm. Also had the Tony Hawk Pro Skater HD, the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 remastered, uh, which would contain the first two games fully remastered for PC, Xbox One, and PS4. And then the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 Remastered Collector's Edition. And this actually came with a Falcon 2 skateboard deck. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was curious. I was like, I'm going to look that up on eBay. And I was like, I'm never going to own this. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a million different ways this game came out. But let's focus on when it first came out on the PlayStation and the Nintendo 64. How did the world perceive this game? What was the general reception and reaction of it? And I want to start out with a quote from Tony Hawk in an interview with VG247. Quote, Neversoft was so open to my ideas, there was never a, we're not going to do that because that's not what video games are. They liked that it was a canvas to explore what we wanted and to capture what we do in the best way. The game sold 800,000 units by the end of 1999, being outsold by games such as Wheel of Fortune, Ready to Rumble Boxing, and A Bug's Life. But the success of the game was a slow burn. Before it was all said and done, the original game sold over 5 million units. That made it the second best-selling video game from 1999, with Pokemon Yellow being the first. Luckily, Neversoft only needed to sell 250,000 units to break even on the game and potentially get the green light to make a sequel. Tony Hawk simply wanted to make a game that skaters would like. He just wanted to impress his friends. Mm -hmm. That's all he wanted to do. And he did. The game earned a 92 out of 100 on Metacritic, and Game Informer placed it as the 36th best video game of all time. Now, Tony Hawk never intended for the game to appeal to an audience beyond skaters. He simply felt that it was going to be a one-off game to get people to buy the PlayStation, because that's, I think that's what he took away from that pitch meeting. Yeah. When he's just like, I want on the N64, like, it's PlayStation, he's like, I guess I'll buy one and my friends can play it. I mean, <laughs> it's whatever. And I think it was more of, okay, this would just be a selling point to get a PlayStation, mm-hmm. and that's about it. And, you know, he was proud of it. He's like, I- I'm going to be proud of what we create with it. Mm-hmm. Once the game was released, Activision tried to offer Tony Hawk a buyout of all future royalties for $500,000. Luckily, Tony didn't take it and describes the decision as one of his best financial decisions of his life since he made more money than he ever had seen from the first game alone. Yes. Eventually, Activision offered him an advance in royalties just to keep him under contract and keep him under that Activision Neversoft, at the time, branding. Yeah, they were so worried, because they were worried that he was going to get bought out by a different company is going to do a different kind of Tony Hawk game, Mm -hmm. and they they were worried about that. Like, they always were, they were trying to give him royalty checks as often as possible, Well, and, and, and you can tell when they're like, uh, Tony, that game you made, it's cool. It's a one-off. Anyway, here's $500,000 if you say like we can use you forever. And he's like, no. <laughs> I, I, I know that he had said at one point the biggest check he ever received from them was a $400,000 check. And he said that you know that he got them very often because the game made him a millionaire. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I believe that was his biggest like profit margin was gaming. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, like to this day he's still making a lot of money. It it like before he was making like six figures pushing that and now it's like yeah, he is a millionaire mm-hmm. through and through. Well, and, and he credits the game for being his biggest push to fame. I mean, mm-hmm. he obviously was getting there obviously in the skating community, but as far as everyone else, this was it. This is mm-hmm. what pushed him there. And he did say never did it for the payout. He always did it because he Wanted, first of all, wanted a game that his friends would be proud of and enjoyed, mm-hmm. and he just loved it. He loved creating it and doing it, mm-hmm. and he claims it was just simply this passion project. It's a very rich passion project. <laughs> I want that kind of passion project. <laughs> but it's good, and like I said, it's become his biggest source of income. And when Hawk plays the game, he keeps the terrain realistic as to what he would skate on, but he loves throwing some crazy combos as well. He changes yeah. it up a little bit. He's like, ooh, I don't do those rail slides, but... Here we go. Yeah, I love he like only skates vert when he's playing a video game. Like that's such a I don't know. I don't know Tony Hawk. I've only seen a million interviews, but it's like that's such a Tony Hawk thing to do. It's being like, well, I only skate vert, so why would I do anything different in this made up scenario? Mm-hmm. And even singer Pharrell Williams once told Tony Hawk that when he grew up skateboarding, he was the odd man out in his friend group. But after the game released, 
it was normalized that he was a skater. Yeah. It was kind of this normal thing that he wasn't this kind of weirdo or kind mm-hmm. of punk. He was just kind of a mainstream thing. Well, that's what, you know, before Tony Hawk Pro Skater, that's what it was. You know, X Games was helping, but it was a punk thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you were just some troublemaking kid, essentially. Yes. The game itself boosted the popularity of many skaters featured in it, considering that some of them weren't popular at the time. Skater Eric Kossen has stated that the game helped him perform tricks because he could see players landing them in the game, mm-hmm. which is incredible. I think that's really cool that it was so, I don't want to say lifelike, but it was just done so well that it's like, oh, okay, if I like kick my foot over like that, I should be able to like, land the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the game did also affect some other lives as well. Adult film actress Asia Carrera found out that her likeness and name were used in the game, supposedly. She came to the Neversoft office and demanded money, even though Tony Hawk claims that the character was named after the Porsche 911 Carrera. They told her that they couldn't pay her, but they could put her in the next game. Thus, she was featured in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. So imagine like that's just like she just comes in. Uh, you use my character. Give me money. Just leave us alone. We'll put you in a game. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds okay. good plan. Okay, see ya. Now, 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 there were many conspiracy theories that spawned from the game. Supposedly, there was a glitch found that would warp the player to a secret level. There's another that a player can turn themselves into a taxi and drive through <laughs> the levels. I mean, hey. <laughs> this is, and I will say this, side tangent with this, this was the era of gaming when this existed. Like with Pokemon finding Mew or trying mm-hmm. to find like that secret character, like finding Yoshi and, and Super Mario. Uh, the Triforce and Ocarina of Time. Yeah, trying to get all that stuff. So this is really what gaming was like in the 90s and <laughs> 2000s. One that is true, however, is that through the use of cheat codes, a woman's face will appear at the start screen. There are theories as to who the woman is, one being Tony Hawk's wife at the time, but it's never been confirmed. Mm-hmm. Now, after the success of the game, a lot of young developers who were also skateboarders would send in their resumes to Neversoft. And the studio actually ended up hiring a lot of them. Which I think is awesome. And it makes sense because after the first one, you're like, yeah, we're, we're doing more. Yeah, we're, we're going to end up doing about a million more before, you know, Activision shuts us down. But still, we're going to do a lot of them. We're going to do something. Hundreds, if not thousands of kids around the world finished Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and picked up a skateboard for the first time. The game took the skateboarding culture into the mainstream, beyond what the X Games were doing at the time. Anyone could be a pro skater at the click of a button, and to this day, the game resonates with fans. The remake would spark the love that many found in their childhood on the PlayStation or Nintendo 64. The game spawned the trend of action sports that lasted for over a decade. None, however, could make the cultural impact that Tony Hawk's pro skater made. To this day, Many professional skaters' lives have been impacted and elevated, and skateboarding was truly revived simply by a video game released in 1999. And I'm just going to jump right into it, because this is really where you and I talk about why did we choose this game? Mm -hmm. Why was this chosen? Why are we doing this? That sentence right there. Alex, please start us off. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) That sentence right there. You know, I want to state that we chose this over doing, you know, any sports games to kind of start this off because this was such a cultural impact mm-hmm. that not only changed how people viewed skating, but just how people viewed gaming and what else can go within it. Mm-hmm. I had talked about at the beginning, you had Dave Mira's BMX. You had all these other kind of offshoots. They tried to be a Tony Hawk with with extreme sports and putting a face to it. And some succeeded in a way, or mm-hmm. at least in their own era. Sean White snowboarding mm-hmm. at one point. Yeah, so you have these revelations and, and, and reviving of a, a sport that made its way through. I mean, you had kind of this, like I said, this dying out of the 80s. It was kind of the punk kids, the druggies. That Those mm-hmm. were definitely the skateboarders probably, and it's not the reality. It's some of the nicest, warmest people Absolutely. That you'll ever meet. And so for this to actually come out and, and Tony Hawk to, to be there and then everyone just to pile in, just be like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, uh, this sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Here's a pirated copy of it. Here's a giant TV to play. <laughs> you know, that's that's really why we chose this. It's one, it's a fun game. It's one that sticks in your head. Superman forever will be stuck in my head. Absolutely. Some Primus going. I mean, it's all there. And, and to really experience it again with the remaster, mm-hmm. it's simply amazing. 
Absolutely. I mean, hearing that drum fill for for Superman. Yeah. That's it. And it's just like you all of a sudden it, it's I, I use this a lot, but it's a time machine. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden you're back into it. I mean, as you were saying, is that this game elevated so many lives and careers and it put, you know, skateboarding on the map, video games more so on the map. But th- I have a personal connection to this one because these games, uh, I believe starting with this one, because my buddy had it on the N64, is what got all of my friends into skating. Mm-hmm. I tried for like a week. I was horrible at it. But all my other friends started skating. That was basically from later in grade school to, you know, till about the end of high school is that that was our like troublemaking group essentially was we were a bunch of skateboarders. Again, I'm not taking credit for that. I was a horrible one, but it's really cool to see that even you had these legends at the time midway even tell Hawk that, you know, skateboarding isn't even cool. Why would anyone want to do it in a video game? Well, if you put them in a level for two minutes and you just let them go wild then all of a sudden it's becoming something different. It's something magical. It's you are a, a pro skater. You feel like it. Like granted, you're not actually on a skateboard, but you're able to say, I just made this guy land a 900 uh, or a 50-50 or do a manual, anything like that, uh, a kickflip. It, it's really cool to see a whole culture with the music, with the skating, with the pro skaters that they brought in and captured into a disc or a cartridge. This is one of those things where it's – I don't know if we'll ever see a game like this, especially in an extreme sports game, shift the culture and the mainstream like this did. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think we're ever going to see that again. And granted, as you said, the remake is awesome. We have it, and it's cool to also see that they change things up. You know, The soundtrack is much, much bigger at this point. You have a bigger roster of people that you can play as, and they were – bringing in, you know, different skaters from different walks of life to give it better representation of skating culture now. Yeah, you know, it, it all sp- starts with this one game as we had said released in 1999. Yeah. For me, it's a timeless game. It, and I think you can even, you know, that you have the remake, you can go play the original and it's going to play the same, really. Like it's still going to be fun as hell. That soundtrack is going to be Awesome as hell. Unless it's on N64, then you're just going to hear... You get clips. <laughs> you're you're going to hear those clips. But uh, I, I'm going to have to rate this game, of let's, course, let's obviously. I'm going to have it. to rate it. I'm going to give it a uh, I'm gonna give it a 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10. 9 uh, out of 10 is, for me. Wow. You know, I mean, I've, I've been listening to some Jesse ratings, and um, all right, I'll allow it. 9 out of 10 for me. Nice. If I had to give it a rating. If you had to give it a rating, hit I me with it. Hit me with it. I'd honestly probably start this rating off with a nose bone flip. Probably follow it up. I don't know. Probably a quad heel flip. Mm. I would then add in a crail slide. Divide that, though, by a nose grab tail slide, obviously. Follow it up with that. Um, <laughs> I'll hit you with that hard flip backslide nose picker, as you do. Um, <laughs> and continue it on, obviously, as we're going to the next part, with a, uh, a rusty slide manual. As I'm continuing that that manual, actually, I actually hit some air. I give you that uh, that one foot Japan. Hmm. Follow it up. I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm following, right? You know what I'm following up with. I have an idea. You know, I don't want to spoil it, so just give it to me. You don't. It's obviously a frontside shifty. Oh, I knew it. I that, knew you hit it. Hit with that frontside shifty, and honestly, I, I really, I really finish it off. I don't think you should. I mean, I don't think a lot of people should. But this is how I finish it off. I go with a dub, double finger flip. Hit it with a 360 varial. Impressive. Yeah. And that's your score? Well, yeah, then I, then that equals a uh, front side nose blunt. Okay. That was your score. Now, what was your point score on that? Well, I fell, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was big. It's a big score. You, big had, score. you had all that pressure, and, and you just couldn't land it. I just couldn't. Next time, next time. But that was our coverage of Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Research was done by Jesse Reiners and Evan Barr. Art was done by Jesse Reiners and Jessica Wellickson. And music written and composed by Evan Barr. And as I say every single time, those people, they're beautiful. Beautiful people we got here. (laughs) Not that important, though. You know who is important? You know who is really important? I'll take beautiful. He'd be beautiful. Is our patrons. Um, so as you know, as we say every time, we have a Patreon. We have some really awesome stuff. We have a bonus show on there from the bargain bin where Jesse and I break down 
some of the worst, uh, maybe some of the best games we find at the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> um, which is a great time, um, as well as post shows uh, and plenty of other bonus content. You can check mm-hmm. over at patreon.com slash finish the fight. And let's thank those now. We'll start with Charles Zitter, Tactics, Sky the Bear, Angry Canadian, Grant Dillon, Mr. Trough, Kevin Fong Feliciano, DGamer1298, Alex Harper, Dilfix, Nick Hyman, Richard Scanlon, McChief, Big Papa Semechki, Grant ODST, Loki2014, Nathan Van Devoort, Climbing Spork, Mr1898, William Krull, and Cameron Collier or Collier. You have to let me know when this episode drops what your name is. Yeah. We will get you ironed out. And if you want to know any more information about our Patreon, you could find it at patreon.com slash finish the fight. Or if you want to ask us directly, be sure to do so on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter after you give us a like or a follow. And if you want an even more direct way to get a hold of us, be sure to join our Discord. It is free for any and all. We also use it to coordinate our monthly game nights. And catch us live over at twitch.tv slash sourman70 that's s-o-u-r-m-a-n-7-0 where we are playing a variety of games playing mm-hmm. some new ones we just finished up a story game and we're going to just have some fun over there and we, we do some live sessions uh you know with jesse and i as well mm-hmm. yeah so if you have any questions for us let us know we might answer them on twitch there you go and finally be sure to find us on your favorite podcast platform and if you would like please leave us a starred and written review we would appreciate that and it helps us rank up in the long run mm-hmm. but as i said that was our coverage of tony hawk's pro skater let us know did you like it did you hate it how does it live up to today's standard but with that i'm your host jesse reiners and i'm your host alex kendall and thank you for tuning in to finish the fight a gaming podcast <laughs>